What's going on, family? What's going on? What's going down with Shaking? Welcome to Jonathan Souls Podcast. This is your host, Jonathan Soul. And I got the honor of introducing you to a, a tremendous creator. Not only does he write, draw, and, uh, and, and create the character, um, I, I, I believe I saw him put the issue in my mailbox this morning. I'm talking about Derek Lipscomb. What's going on, brother? How you doing, man? It's a pleasure to be on the show. Thank you for having me on board. No problem. And we're talking about your, your wonderful comic book series, uh, The Maroon. So uh, for my audience who may not be aware, uh, just describe, you know, like give us the premise of the, uh, the comic book uh, property, The Maroon. The Maroon is basically my, my attempt to create a uh, kind of a folklore hero uh, slash pulp hero along the veins of Zorro, the Lone Ranger, who happens to be a half uh, Native American, half African American. Um, I said it in 1850s because I thought that'd be a, you know, that fits in that timepiece where you have that type of style of action. Um, and I also wanted to uh, steep it not only in historical references, but it's a, I, I like to call it a heightened history. That's why I call it folklore remixed because then I add uh, supernatural and mythical elements uh, culled from Native American and just, uh, just American, uh, you know, urban legends just to kind of give it a nice, uh, you know, just to boost the entertainment value of it. Now, what kind of, uh, what kind of research did you have to do in this character? I mean, are you a, are you a history buff? I mean, you went to school for, for history. What happened? You know, I, I, I've always kind of had like a real mm, on and off love with history. It depends on the time period. And, and honestly, uh, the whole 1850s and pre-Civil War and Civil War was never really uh, super appealing, just because as as African-Americans, we tend to think of that as probably the worst aspects of history in this country. Um, and, and, I, and I think that was also kind of something that my, my, own, my own mother was always, she never really wanted to have talk about that era at all, because it was such a horrible period in her mind. But as I got older... Uh, what really kicked this book off was that I was I was always told that we had Native American in our family. Uh, but I come from I come from the north. I come from New England. I was born in Rhode Island. Uh, but we we always were told, oh yeah, there's Native American, there's Native American. But uh, you know, you, it was really hard to prove that because the paperwork that you'd ever drudge up would always just have someone listed as a mulatto. Right. And I was curious about the uh, demographic of how many, uh, you know, how many black people in, in the country have First Nation uh, mixed in. And, I, you know, I've, I've read things from people saying don't believe that because it's most, most likely it's European blood. People are mistaken for Native American features and this and that. So I was kind of like, well, I need to figure out what's accurate and what's not. And during my research, I stumbled on uh, a, a couple of books. Um, one of them was called Black Indians, uh, Hidden History. And um, there was a, a few other books. And uh, as I was reading this, that particular book, uh, there was a chapter that uh, talked about the Maroons. Hmm. Okay. And as I was reading that, and I was reading about how there's these, you know, these groups of slaves who would, uh, you know, revolt or rebel or escape their captivity, they would, uh, they would form their own communities, uh, primarily in Jamaica, but then there was, there were some that were in, in Florida and they would, whoa, uh, whoa, whoa, they would, whoa, 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 wait a minute, wait, hold on, you, you teach me something I didn't know. There were maroons <laughs> in Florida? 
yes, yes. That they were well, they were called maroons, and it might have been just a carryover from the the Caribbean. Okay, but they were called maroons. I guess the word is a Spanish word from cimarron or something like that. It's a, mm-hmm. a short version of it, but it, uh, it it does mean something to the effect of uh, stranded or 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 I can't remember exactly. But these people would these slaves would go out and they would they would link up with uh, the Native Americans in this case the Seminole people. And they would form these communities, and they were very self-sufficient. And it was not something the American government liked to see because, you know, they were seeing two people that have been previously oppressed, you know, basically working together and, and not needing anything from them. And their reaction was, we need to drive these people out. Mm-hmm. So there were three Seminole Indian Wars um, oh, wow. in which – the government had pushed them all the way out west as far as uh, Oklahoma and in the north of Mexico. Okay. And uh, there were some, some larger-than-life figures that came out of that. Like uh, there's a character named John Horse in history who's partially uh, in the DNA of the maroon. Okay. In fact, the, D- the, the outfit that the maroon first wears in the first couple issues is directly lifted from John Horse's. I, I didn't have a color scheme, so I just added – the color of maroon into it to kind of further that, that name. Uh, but uh, I, I really like the idea that there's this, this character who, who instilled a little bit of fear in everybody because he was just so larger than life. And I wanted to do that. And I like the idea of the wandering man, which is funny because I, I know when you did your review, you were talking about how there's that aspect like the incredible hug TV series and such like that. And I'm a big fan of that concept of the wandering man. And he goes town to town and he gets into these situations. And and the the goal was always that he's just gonna he's gonna help people, but he because of who he was, it was always a thankless job. Mm. And uh it was just kind of a a thing that I started off early on. Um but as I developed it, it started to take its own story. It started to drive itself. Okay. Uh so yeah. Wow, man. All right. All right. So you answered a couple of my questions already. I want to know what the premise was and how the character uh, developed. So what I get so far is that there was mm-hmm. an interest, like a personal interest in your family history. And mm-hmm. uh, a lot of uh, Africans, uh, you know, African-Americans, uh, particularly folk down south. I never heard of any up north, but, you know, the, the, the Indians was here first. You, you know what I mean? And, they did, and the devils yeah. didn't kill them all off. So, uh, so there definitely was some, uh, some commingling, uh, and everything. So, you know, it's funny, man, I, I go through, you know, a fair number of books and I don't review all of them, uh, primarily mm-hmm. because I'm concerned about the image, you, you know what I mean? Um, I'm yes. concerned about the image it presents and your book was a, a peculiar exception because you made the maroon so strong. You, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You made him so strong. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was fucking people up for real. You know what I mean? <laughs> and uh, and I appreciated that. You know what I mean? He 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 was very generous with the acts. Um, right. Why did you go violent with this character? Now I'm commending you on it. Just just be clear. Uh, but I don't see that a lot. You know, I, I there's a I think there's a significant amount of self censorship. You know what I mean? We we write sure. like the like the white liberals want us to write in, in some cases. So why did you go there? Why did you make the character so strong, so violent? Well, and and 
just to reiterate, I, I wasn't trying to do this just to make it like a, a revenge porn comic. You know what I mean? Like that wasn't my ultimate goal, but I did want to do something that was for our age group. You know what I mean? Like for the, especially for those of us who grew up reading comics, um, it's nice to have something that tr treats you in the same manner as if you watch, like, say, The Walking Dead or, or uh, you know, anything you've seen in the movie theater that's a rated R movie. You know, that's to me was something I was more interested in. Like, people never really push the envelope in comics, or they do, but sometimes I feel like there's certain books out there that could do it more, and that would really just give them that oomph they need. And I really wanted to come out really strong with this character. Um, he's, yes, he's physically strong, but he's also very vulnerable in the sense that he doesn't really know a whole lot about his past due to his amnesia. And he doesn't know who to trust. And he, you know, he's vilified everywhere he goes, but he still has kind of an open, an open mind, an open heart to everybody he encounters. He's always weary, but he gives in a little bit. And that could be also his undoing. Yeah, and that's why I think that the whole, uh, and then the comic book review I talked about, you know, like the Incredible Hulk TV show, uh, Vanishing Sun Kung Fu, I think I mentioned. Because yes, yes. all of those characters, even though every episode, you know, they, you know, people try to carry them, they still mm -hmm. have a, a kind of a, 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 not a naive, but a very open, childlike side that's willing to help everybody. Pretty, pretty, right. pretty damn much everybody. And right. then, you know, when, you know, when that doesn't turn out too well, you know, then, then you, open, you open up that can and <laughs> Shorty, <laughs> don't make me angry. Right, right, like right. Me when I'm angry. <laughs> yeah. right, right. Now y'all got to read the book in order to know, pick up that reference. But, but yeah, so, um, so no, I appreciate that, man. And I think that I can only speak for myself. I'm, I appreciate that kind of layer. Now, you had a Moses character in there. You had the quilt character. I don't think it would be giving too much away to talk about the quilt. Why did you spin the quilt like that? I just thought that would be an interesting. I like I like putting nuggets of history in there uh -huh. that may not be ultra obvious to everybody. But if you did your homework or if you knew your stuff, you'd be like a light would go off. You know what I mean? Yeah. And um, and and even for me, some of these things are things I'm learning as I'm researching. So an issue I'm working on right now, um, William Still makes an appearance. And uh, William Still is a, a brother from Philadelphia who worked with uh, Harriet Tubman and helped uh, find homes for escaped slaves once they were brought home oh, wow. to the north. Okay. And he had a house and he was part of a, a – it was called the Philadelphia – something association of abolitionists or something to that effect. Mm -hmm. And he's, uh, he's, you know, he's, he's a fairly well-known historical figure, but he's not like prominent, like Harriet Tubman. Right. But I want to throw him in there. It's kind of just for those ones who don't get the spotlight as much. Mm -hmm. No, I appreciate that. And, and that's, that's one of the subtle differences that you find when African people create their own content. Mm -hmm. It's very easy to make a white character, black, and, uh, you know, uh, have them talk jive and, right. uh, you know, make them ex-convict trying to be good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All of ex-convicts, goddamn! You know what I mean, kind of thing. So, so it's, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Now, 
one thing I, one thing I, I, I want to ask again, and I think I, I think I mentioned this. Okay, so one of the things that I appreciate about the book, I talked about the violence, and I think that violence can be beautiful, mm-hmm. you know, in certain in certain scenarios, kind of a thing. So yeah. you know, revenge porn, you know, I'm not even going to speak on that. I just think that the violence in this book is beautiful. Two. Mm-hmm. You know, I thought that you did the, the the few sex scenes that are in there. I thought you did those tastefully, you know right. what I mean, uh, kind of a thing. And then mm-hmm. you know, some scary shit in there, whatever. Um, <laughs> so, so when I think about this book, I would put it on the same similar vibration in terms of mature themes as maybe Day Black. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that book, like uh, Vampire, who's a tattoo artist or whatever. Uh, down south, but it's very, it, it can be very dark at times, right? Okay. And mm-hmm. then, um, and then the other one, I guess, to some degree, there's another book called Vegas Baby, uh, but it's not, it's not as dark as, 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 as this book gets sometimes. So I think it's an interesting balance. I mean, first of all, and I said this in my review, I don't, American slavery was our hell and so to me i kind of see this book as this guy coming out of hell kind of a thing he's kind of fighting his way out and the thing that you put in there which was also different some other for some other books is you have these mythical creatures you know what i mean kind of thing i mean i'm not gonna say this is like a constantine but you know what i mean it's like it's kind of mythical kind of a thing Tell me well, about some of your processes of designing these mythical creatures. Well, before I get get into that, I, I did want to to comment on on what you said a little bit earlier. Was mm-hmm. that as I had mentioned before, especially with my my parents or at least my mom, and she she referenced the Civil War as just like you know, like you said, it was the hell for for a lot of us uh, in in regards to our looking back how how you know we are integrated into this country country. I uh, I also specifically chose chose this this time period because I wanted to do make a positive out of a negative point, mm-hmm. and so having a, a a character who's heroic, violent, and sometimes takes it too far, but he, he in his heart he does the good the right thing for the right people. Um, I think that was important to me mm-hmm. because I I always found it frustrating that. The only way we can look at the past is always in a negative, you know, in a negative way. And even though this isn't real history, it's also nice to have something where you can look at the past in a different lens. Like, imagine this character, you know, being who he is and doing what he does amidst all the things that are against him. Now, now, let me make sure that both of us are on the same page because everything I've said is a positive. Hold on for a second. I want, I want to show you. Okay. See me drifting. In my hand, mm-hmm. I have a magazine that maybe you heard of before. Okay. It's called Heavy Metal. You ever heard of that magazine before? That is one of my number one influences for this book. There you go. We all I got the spirit. That's why I'm calling you. I got the <laughs> spirit of it. So I think black people need this kind of energy, particularly the yeah. brothers. You know what yeah. I mean? Because heavy metal to me in that- the well, you tell me about heavy metal. How did it impact you? 
I, I discovered heavy metal through my older brother. My older, bro- I, I have two older brothers, and we all love comics. Mm-hmm. And my older brother, he would when he got he was like in high school, and I was still in elementary school, and he would get heavy metal. I think every now and then, uh, and th- and this also is also a reference to a lot of the underground comics of the mid '80s. Yep. He, when he went away to college, he would come home on the weekends, and he'd have all kinds of comics I never even heard of, and. Aside from heavy metal and and the animated movie that's linked to it, yeah, uh, I noticed that these books, the material in these books, were unlike the comics I was used to reading. Mm-hmm. There was nudity, there was sex, there was violence, there was some bizarre shit. Yep. But the art was always gorgeous. Yeah. Art was amazing. Yeah. And and that's what really uh, pulled me in. I mean, I, obviously, you know, being a little, you know, in, on the young side and stuff, you're seeing stuff that you know, oh, you know, this woman's naked, but. But that, that on that superficial level, that was great. But there was a deeper connection with that the the artistic style. Yeah, and that stayed with me. Um, mm-hmm. That was for me the the moment where I knew, like, if I'm going to do comics, yes, I love superheroes, um, but they've been done to death. Yeah, I know. I like to try different genres and stuff like that, but. There was something about that where you you would see an anything goes type of story. Mm-hmm. There would be a guy, you know, flying out in space in a bathtub, <laughs> an asteroid, and there would be an alien woman with you know four breasts, and yep. he'd have sex with her, and that was a heavy metal story. Yep. You know that, was, <laughs> and there, it was really just surreal. And there was like another, um, I think Marvel even tried to do their take on that. They did a magazine called Epic, mm-hmm. and that was. Similar to the, the the same idea, it was magazine sized, and they also had very mature stories. So these things were around, and I was very much aware of them. And I I it, it never left me um, internally. And I, I when I decided that I was going to do this comic, and it was going to be just me, and I was going to be the one writing it, and I was going to be drawing it. You know, and I'm I'm 44 right now. You know, and I've had, I've been dreaming of doing comics since I was four. So wow. 40 years, you know, I uh. I went right into it. You, all you, out. you let it. You let it gestate until it was until you was ready to uh, to bring it to the world. Now, yeah. so so basically, all I'm all I'm saying is, I'm getting that vibration from your book. If I had to go through there, it's definitely if you know. It's, I'm looking at this heavy metal joint now. Mm-hmm. Beautiful violence. I mean, some crazy shit that's going on here, and some just like you said. So. I think we need to see more of that sure. kind of a thing uh, because to be perfectly frank, the peop- I think, I think it's, uh, there's a lot of obviously parents that are buying books and this is not for kids, by the way, uh, ladies and gentlemen, if you haven't sorted that out by now, <laughs> you know what I mean? But this is the kind of book that, you know, fellas want to have their connections, ladies want to have in their collection kind of thing. And then when your kids get older, you know what right. I mean? You know, which I would say, I think I said in the, you know, our teens, you know, I mean, they can peep it. It's not like, I mean, you, you don't go as far as some of the heavy metal people do. You know what I mean? Uh, no, no. I, I, and I, yeah. I don't, I don't want to, uh, I don't want to, what do you call it? Sensationalize it too much because I feel like there are people who don't even have comics that are that graphic, but they'll still like go beyond the objectification of things like women and how they're shaped and everything. And it's almost, sometimes it's just like, it's too much now. And, uh, you know, I, I like a good illustration and everything like that. But when it's almost shameless, it almost feels cheap to your in your like, I don't even want to open the book because I just know what this book is is drawing. I know the audience for this book already. And f- 
for me, I, I, I wanted to, to do just enough, um, and, and to do it realistic and mm-hmm. to make it, make it feel like, you know, when, when, you know, Isaiah and Matilda have their moment, it's, you know, their bodies are scarred from, you know, all the things they've been through and they're, they're out there in, in a cave somewhere in the woods because they got no other place to go. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and it's just a splash page of it. It's, there's not like, you know, panel after panel of, you know, what's happening, you know, and, you know, and even the one in episode, in issue three, you know, it's, it serves a purpose to creep you the fuck out, hopefully. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then, and then, you know, and um, beyond that though, it's, it's just meant to, it is meant to kind of give you a bit of shock value, but not, not that, that, that's not the driving point of the book. You know what I mean? Oh, no, I got you. I, I, what I'm telling you is these are all selling points. Mm. You, you know what I mean? If you didn't have this, this, uh, this mix of, uh, you know, story, uh, you know, character design, violence, mm-hmm. you know, mature themes, then I, I don't think the book would have been set apart. I mean, the art is good, you know what I mean? But, I mean, you know, you had just the perfect mix of things that made this kind of, to me, kind of had this book like stand head and shoulders above some some stuff I've seen. Now, speaking of story, mm. um, I said in my little Twitter post or something uh, yesterday, which you disagree with, uh, that uh, you can't read this book by drinking caffeine. The reason why I said that is because every book ends on a blankety blank cliffhanger. Derek, why you do that to this brother? You know what I mean? Why? Why you try to raise people blood pressure, Derek? Why you? What's going on, man? Why you? Why you trying to stress people out? I just want you to come back. That's all. I I don't want. I mean, there's some stories where I I end it, and in the story, you know, like I always try to. I always try to make these stories self-contained each issue because each issue has its own scenario with the overlying story arc going through. But like, if you read issue one, you could read issue one. And and then if you, you have no interest in finding out what happens next, you could close that book and be done with it and be happy, I guess. Um, But I'm glad people haven't. I'm glad people kept going on with it. Issue two starts to unfold a lot of things. Um, But I, I always, I always feel like the best reads I've ever had are you should always be wanting more. Mm-hmm. And um, and you have something to look forward to. And then, you know, and then it's the same for TV, too. It's the same for, for anything. I mean, one of, the, some, one of the greatest movies, sequels of, of, of cinema is Empire Strikes Back. Mm-hmm. And how did that end? Ended on a bad cliffhanger. And we were like, you know, and we knew we had to wait a few years for the next follow up. Yeah. And that was murder. Um, so I, I remember that feeling as a kid, watching a lot of things where, or reading a lot of things where I was like, oh, snap, like what's going to happen next? And uh, I, I think that's just a, an, an instinct, a story instinct where you, and uh, my friend Brian Coles, he, he always uh, said that when he was looking at my, uh, my scripts, he said, this is good because you should always try to make everything a page turner. Yes. And I Whatever want to get to your team uh, in a second, but let me let me go on another element of the story which intrigues me. Now, mm-hmm. I made mention of the wandering hero and so forth. And tell mm-hmm. me if I'm I'm projecting into this or, or is this something you intended? To me, in the I got all the you know eight books that are out now in digital, and I order print uh, shortly. Um, but to me, the story arcs 
kind of happened with like the peripheral characters. The way I'm right. reading it, uh, you know, the Maroon or, or Isaiah or Isaac, whatever. Um, mm-hmm. This brother's like a force of nature. He kind of comes through. He's immutable. You know, mm-hmm. you know, he, he, he is who he is. And right. then all these other people who come into his vibration, you know, they change, you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, they have these arcs, you know, kind right. of a thing. Is that, am I tripping or is that how you wrote or, or talk to me on that point? That, that, uh, well, adding in particular, Matilda, she's got a, a fairly sizable arc that, um, I'm actually trying to head towards a close on. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was a, my first main story arc I wanted to like really work on. And it, and it has a lot of legs, thankfully. So it's gotten me a, quite a few issues in. Mm-hmm. And, um, it's, and like I said before, it's funny how these characters end up writing themselves. Yeah. Like I have, I have an overlying idea of where I want this character to go. And he eventually is going to deal with his own arc. Um, but he, I needed him to become not the running man, um, and not the monster, but he needs to become the hero. Okay. Before ready to do that. And so when we meet him, he's trying to just go and find place where he could just get away from everything yeah. and just find peace. He doesn't really care. But then he meets, you know, Matilda, he meets a couple other people and then he kind of gets invested. And that's where he starts to look at things differently. Like, you know, all I do is everywhere I go, you know, a bloodshed, you know, that axe flies, heads come off or whatever. And I'm tired of it. But now he's starting to think, you know, maybe I could find redemption and do right for some people. So you start seeing these these turns happening little by little as the story goes on. And that's what I wanted. I really wanted an evolution of the character. I didn't want him just coming out swinging like he's the, he's the hero mm-hmm. uh, when the series. Ended. I wanted I wanted you to go on a journey with him and to see through his eyes, you know, how he can change because he's you know because he's got the situation put on him by the witches. How he's going to try to turn that on its head and make for better. Okay. Um. So that was that was a thing that. Um, was important to me, and and um, you'll you'll see how how that plays into his his arc too. I mean, these things kind of weave in and out. Okay. And so, yeah, I, it, a lot of it is planned, a lot of it is improvised, a lot of it wrote itself. Yeah. And it worked beautifully, thankfully. <laughs> so. I agree. I agree. Tell me about W. Brian Coles and Rose Coles. Okay. Well, uh, Brian is actually a. A former coworker of mine. He was actually my manager at my previous uh, place of work, mm-hmm. and um, he, you know, I'm a graphic designer by day, and and we, I used to work with a group of a large group of graphic designers, and Brian managed this group, and he always was, he was always interested in in following these creative projects, and he, you know, at first he seemed a little, you know, directionless because he had, no, I want to do this, want to do that, but he, he always had this idea to do his own comic, but he had no, I guess, um. He had no direction there, but I, in the meantime, I was working on with another group on a comic and I think that we kind of just like fed off of each other. And so when it was time for me to start this comic, he was going to start his own called the, the mighty riff. And, um, 
he's also has uh, a lot of uh, you know teaching experience and and such like that. So I always relied on Brian to look at my scripts. And when I write my scripts, sometimes I just I just write to get everything, all the ideas out of my head, and sort the logic out later. Okay. And I always try to do a pass through him and his wife Rose, and you know I I like getting their feedback because I usually go, you know, does this make sense? Do you think this is something someone would do, or do you think this is kind of like, you know, a little too ridiculous? And and you know, about ninety five percent of the time, they always say just go with it. Now here and there. They'll say, eh, you might want to try this. This might work better. And it still gets me to to the end game that I want. Okay. Uh, so what they're about, basically what about uh Alondra Mendoza? She's also she was also a former co-worker from the same okay. place. Right. So you worked at a cool spot, man. You guys I, still keep in touch. Usually when you leave, you, you go. Like <laughs> I, you, what, I what had, be you, you know what I mean? Kind of thing. <laughs> I had a good network of people who had shared the same interests and she's actually, uh, she likes to read the comics, but, um, she's very good at being trivial about stuff. Okay. So she'll actually catch me on some historical errors every now and then. Oh, wow. All right. So I'll, I'll, I'll send like the first, you know, finished comic to her, like a PDF and she'll read it. And she goes, I don't think they used this word back then. That was only, that was like a decade later. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, damn. And, you know, at first I'm like, well, this is heightened history. I'm going to just kind of like let it slide. But then I'm like, you know what? No, I need to I need to get it as authentic as I can, because there's always going to be one out there. It's a stickler for it. And, you know, not everything is going to be, you know, exactly on point to history, but it's close enough. We can let it go. But she's very good at, at like, you know, with, with dialogue and with historical fact checking. Tell so Alondra she- that she had me run into the dictionary. Uh, many a times, you know what I mean? I looked shit, stuff up. I didn't know what, I, I mean, I dug the fact that you was trying to speak or you were speaking in that kind of historical parlance. You right. know what I mean? Cause I can be a stickler. Like I don't like it. The fact that in the movies, Thor says earth instead of Midgard, you know what I mean? Just like it's a little yeah. thing, but goddamn, you know, they make things contemporary. It takes you out of the movie sometimes exactly. or out of the story. Exactly. So I, I, I was very conscious not to, to let that happen. Now, the maroon himself, I don't. He, he doesn't talk like a slave because he wasn't a slave. His right. father was a slave, right. um, but he was. He's got. A, he's got a, an interesting history that I'm going to open up the doors to um, very soon, and you're going to understand why he speaks a little bit more uh, eloquently, I guess you could say. Um, but all the characters around him, I try to keep the dialect somewhat close. I mean, I don't know how accurate I'm being. Um, my point of reference, honestly, is from from movies and TV. So I could be Hollywoodizing the way people talk, and I may not know it. But I, I try to keep it, you know, enough to all the cues are there for people to to get it and go, okay, this person was a slave. This person is upper crust. This person is backwoods. This person is, you know, that type of. You know what I mean? Yeah. This it, it's funny. It, it reminds me of the scene. Now I don't watch it no more. But it reminds me of this scene of Game of Thrones when, uh, <laughs> when, when the little girl, what's the little girl, the Stark, the little girl? Oh shoot! Um, you know, I, I I'm gonna be. Uh... He was playing the uh, the serving girl to the mean dude who had the gold. Um, something always pays their debts. Lancaster, Lannister. Okay. So Lannister. The, the Lannister dude, you know, was in there by himself, and she was pouring him wine or whatever. And then she mm-hmm. said something to the effect of "Thanks, my lord," or something. Or, um, and he said, "You know, it's me, lord." She was like, "What?" He said, 
if you're going to pretend to be a commoner, then you should talk like one. It's my law or something like. So when you mention that, it it reminds me of those kind of things. But oh yeah, yeah. You know, I think that I think that your language is tight enough that it doesn't pull you out of the story unless you're like me and you have to go to a dictionary. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, but you know what? There's some learning in this book too. So it's we can't learn it. You know, learn is fundamental. <laughs> now, uh, I was going to ask you um, uh, uh, about Al I Comics. Is that your company, or is that another company, or what's going on? That's just uh, honestly, that's just a, a banner name that I I came up with um, when I started doing this. I just I wanted to have something that just kind of just to put on the on the cover, and um, right now it's 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 just mostly just me i'm i'm basically running the whole show with the exception of you know the editorial services that i i, I have my friends help me out with mm-hmm. um and i was going to ask you about this Derek guy because uh i know that you created the book but there's a Derek liscom who wrote it who illustrated it uh he, <laughs> he's also helping us like god damn man you, you know what i mean that's, that's a lot so so how do you manage so you're writing the thing, and I mean, are you, the script comes first, and then you sketch it out. The thumbnails, like, tell me about your production process. So yeah, well, all right. So I do, I do everything issue to issue with a a skeleton, a, like a skeleton arc in my head. Okay. Um, so, so you when start I, out, he's gonna hit this dude in the head with an axe, <laughs> and then when a I monster's do, gonna jump out the thing. And, and, all right. <laughs> I don't. I'm, I'm trying to communicate to you the childlike joy I had no. in some of the pages of the book because you don't see that too much. You got to remember, you know I'm not doing Marvel in DC. I'm doing black comics. But you know what? What's funny you say that because a lot of this stuff comes from me and my brothers playing with action figures as kids. Okay. Okay. We thought. We thought. We didn't play like they show you kids playing on the toy commercials. We were. We in our minds we were we were directing our own movies with these kids exactly, figures, yep. doing the voices. We'd we'd uh, you know we'd have we'd have the same type of violent situations happen to Luke Skywalker, like yep. you know he get hit by it, he get stepped on by an at you know it was just things like that. Also helped build the way I I I put these stories together. So when I I start an issue, my first order of business is I write a summary. Okay. So I can uh, so I can myself understand if the story itself makes for a good entry. I'll do a quick summary, and then I'll start to script it out, and I'll write it page by page. And I always try to keep it in the frame of anywhere from twenty-four to thirty-six pages. Mm-hmm. I used I started off doing twenty-four pages because it was manageable and it was fast, and I could get it done in under a month. Okay, um, but now because characters have gotten so meaty yes and as i want to tell the, the book has has grown a bit and some issues will go back to 24 and others will go to 32 or 36 it just depends i don't have a set standard anymore mm-hmm. it just it, it the story is more important to me yeah so if i get everything i want onto the book then that's how it's gonna go okay, okay. okay. So, wow so uh so you you sketch it out you you write out the script um mm-hmm. at what point do your editors get involved as soon as I do the first draft, I send the rough draft over. Um, Brian and his wife, they'll they'll look at it for a weekend. Are you emailing? Then, Are you using Dropbox, Drive? What happened? We use uh, we use Basecamp or Google oh, Drive. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right, all right. 
So Basecamp is nice because you can you can manage your projects really good. Um, so I'll I'll post the, the the Word doc up there, and Brian and his wife will look at it, and then maybe by Monday I'll come back, I'll open up the email, and they'll have a revised Word doc with notes. And in there you'll look at it, and they'll say, well, you know, try using this instead of this saying this because this is too contrived, or this, you know, they'll give you all kinds of notes like that, just to kind of like help me with my dialogue because. Uh, first and foremost, I'm an artist first. Um, yeah. I never fancied myself a writer. Um, I didn't know I had any kind of knack for writing because um, so, I've never tried it. But I'm starting to discover through other people's opinions that I'm doing okay. <laughs> so yeah. I, I'm actually happy that I'm able to do a little bit of both. So after they do after they do that and I revise it and I do that, that next draft, um, you know, whether like Alondra is available or anybody's available, I'll I'll send another pass over just to get all the little kinks out, and then I'll just start drawing. And sometimes I'll start drawing stuff while they're while they're going through the the, the editing because you know with action and stuff like that, that's fun. I'll even skip over and I'm like I'm gonna draw this sequence. Like right now, I'm drawing a sequence for issue ten that's at the end of the book. Okay. Uh, and Brian and Rose right now have that script. And they're like, well, you should have our, our notes tomorrow. Wow. And I was like, okay, I'm waiting. I'm going to start because I, I gave myself a, a bi-monthly schedule. So, Oh, wow. You do better blood. than DC and some is, is Marvel in them. Okay, all right. Well, well, the thing is, the trappings of being an indie uh, comic book uh, you know, producer or a writer or an artist is that you get that, you get that chance to get out there and as soon as you, you don't don't show your face for a while. You're forgotten. Yeah. And so it was important for me to like maintain issue to issue to issue. So people remember that I'm still here because, um, I worked on a previous project and our schedule was everywhere. We went from one time releasing a book within a year. Wow. And then we went, then we had like three or four come out at once. And then we waited another six months before another one came out. It was just everywhere. And then at that point, it just felt like there was no interest in the book gotcha. because no, you know, what, what's going on, what's going on next. And so I use a lot of social media. I use, uh, you know, my background in email marketing to kind of keep people in the loop and say, look, this is coming up. It's going to be available for digital here. And then later it'll be available for printing, you know, a hard copy here. And, um, I, I like to just kind of at least remind people without trying to spam them. You know what I mean? So, um, so uh, I, I'll draw the comic. I'll usually will do one to two pages a day. I'm gotten the, to a point where I have a system that I can do these fairly quick. Mm -hmm. Any chance I got, I will be on the computer or I'll be drawing and I'll be trying to put stuff together. And it, it's going to get a lot harder for me because I'm about to have my second kid next year. I was so I don't know ask what... about the family next uh, and, and how to schedule time, but go ahead. Congratulations, well, by the way. Thank you. Thank you. And so, um, yeah, it's just a matter of like, like I said, you you have to really love what you do. Yeah, and um, you really have to. People will find time to do anything if they love it enough. Now, are you doing like pencil and paper and scanning? Are you drawing, writing the Illustrator, Photoshop? How how you? What's the technical part of the drawing process? You pencil and ink on paper, scan it in, and all the colors and everything else are done through Photoshop. Now I'm looking for the credits. I heard the baby was doing the, the inking. Is that true? <laughs> Not yet. Not yet. 
she will hopefully she she already goes to the conventions and stuff and sits oh, with dad wow that's so wonderful wow yeah i i, I uh I put together the first six issues in a trade. Um, I saw that. Yeah, I got to get that one next. Uh-huh, I saw that. I, I dedicated this book to her because she's four right now. Oh. And that was the age I was at when I started realizing I wanted to draw for a living. And I yeah. just want – it's really important for me that she sees that. It doesn't matter how old you are. Yeah. If you have a dream from that young, you could still make it happen. Yeah. And I, I followed through with that. And um, I'm very proud of that. That's good, man. That's good. Um, I have a, uh, I have a friend who was a, a tremendous, was a tremendous, maybe still is a tremendous artist, tremendous artist. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, he drew like, do you remember John Byrne back in the yeah. day? He kind of drew oh, yeah. like him and he drew fast. Right. And, uh, you know, all of us were, 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 were artists, you know, in high school and stuff. And, you know, I wasn't that great, you know what I mean? But I made up my own characters. And my other buddy, you know, he was a, a tremendous colorist and did the graffiti shit and everything. And then mm-hmm. other buddy who was a fast, tremendous John Byrne kind of artist, he would mm-hmm. do 60-page books right out the store and everything. And so, you know, you move forward in time, we go to college, and I, my, I would consider the best artist among us went in IT. And wow. I was like, oh, man, I, you know, you do what you got to do for your family, you know right. what I mean, kind of a thing. Uh, and so, you know, I eventually went and I, I was the art director for a while and, and all that kind of stuff. And uh, I wanted to talk to you about the graphic design piece, but uh, we could go too long. But um, but yeah, man, so uh, so it's wonderful when, you know, when I see people hold on to it, even if you sleep for a little while, a couple of decades, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> Uh, I always just said I'm just too stubborn to know any better, you yeah. know, and I, I'm, I can't let go of something like this because, you know, I'm, I'm still a giant child inside. Beautiful. Good, good, good. good that's yeah. the, I think that's really the key. You know the, what I mean? The like best, you really. The best musicians and, uh, mm-hmm. and, and, and best musicians and uh, radio personalities that I've ever met used to be graphic mm-hmm. designers. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny. It's the it, to me. I think the rationale is for everybody is that well, it's a way to make a living and still be artistic. I'm gonna do it, and that was really my my reason for getting into it. it was because yeah. I had no idea how to get my foot in the door to become a comic artist yeah. um, until you know later on. But at that point, I was already going to school. I was already you know trying to get for my degree, and and then. So I, I mean, I came out and I got my jobs, and, and the jobs are okay. They they pay fairly well, but like, yeah. you know, if you want to talk about being completely fulfilled with doing work, uh-huh. this is where it's at for me. Like, if I could twenty four seven, I would do it forever. Yeah, that's what I feel about this podcast. And then you can mm-hmm. give that to your little ones. Yes, you know they can take the maroon and they can, you know, push <laughs> it even further. You know. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And it would be nice, too, to see, like, maybe one of them pick it up, because I'm having a son now in May. Oh, wow, that's wonderful. If, if it's the daughter or if it's the son, if, or if it's them together, you know, if they were, you know, if they have that interest and they want to do something, and, you know, it would be nice to think about them carrying on the legacy of the character. Yeah. But, I mean, you know, because I, I, I really envision the character to be, you know, you could do multiple stories with this character. I have a set number of stories for this character. 
and then they have kind of a, a designated end for it. Um, but that doesn't mean that necessarily that's the only story you can tell. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, the, the thing about it, and you, you kind of mentioned this before, after a while, you said the stories write themselves. Mm. So, I mean, sometimes in my experience, I write a little sci-fi and so forth. Uh, sometimes you don't necessarily know where you're going to go next. And then the characters right. will just do shit and they'll say <laughs> shit. And then, okay, yes. let's go with that. It is true. You know, I, I know um, what was the one? All right. So there's a reveal in issue six um, where he finds out something about Matilda. And, I, and I'm sure you've read it and you, oh, absolutely. you know what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, so I was reading uh, Saturday. Yep. And that or was, Monday that, or whatever day that, it was. That was kind of a doozy. Oh, most yeah, definitely. Yeah. It scared the shit out of me because of, the implications of that. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that was something that happened not when I was scripting, but as I was lettering it. Oh. I was just putting the words in there, and then I was like, huh. Man, I, I, thought, I thought the baby did the lettering. You do lettering too? <laughs> I do everything. God damn! <laughs> <laughs> you, got, you got four arms out this baby. <laughs> God damn. You got my four arms, man. <laughs> oh, Lord. Uh. <laughs> well, yeah, that, that came at the last minute. And yeah. um, that directed the next set of stories in a way that is way better than I thought it was going to go. And um, sometimes it's right down to the witching hour, man. You get that last minute revision and that changes the canvas. That's, that's why I say in, in this series, there's so many, uh, you know, cliffhangers, of course, but so many gems in there. Mm. And then I didn't even know about some of the historical figures that you kind of, you know, have come in here. I mean, you know, I got the first easy ones. You know what I mean? Right. But you, you done went up to 12th grade on a brother. You know what I mean? As you go into the issues, and stuff, I got the elementary school joints. You know what I mean? Harry Tubman. You know what I mean? I got that. You know what I'm saying? But, you know, you know, went to another level uh, right. on this, man. So I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Um, you appreciating now, it. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm excited about it because I'm a fan of the, of the medium because there's so many places you can go. And as we all know from, you know, the, the incredible success of the Black Panther movie by Marvel, mm -hmm. we know that mm -hmm. there's an audience for this kind of material outside our community. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know what I mean? I think that, you know, black comics are like the, the jazz of speculative, sequential, scientific fiction. You know what I'm saying? Oh. I mean, I think that... It, it, I, I also... I also think not to interrupt. I'm sorry, but uh, thing. Yeah, I, I always, I also feel like, as a people, who needs a hero more? Yeah. At this point, you know what I mean. Like, and then that's not to to take away from anybody else, but mm -hmm. like, it always surprised me that we didn't have more of this because it's like the escapism is something that we should all gravitate towards because sometimes life itself is all that you know. There's nothing escapist about you know, our everyday struggles and stuff like that. And, and I, I like, I like Afrofuturism. I love the idea that, you know, we're getting into the sci-fi fantasy outlet. I, you know, my character is not necessarily futuristic, but the, the concepts are, are there where we have these larger than life 
ideas that we want to put on paper and explore. Yeah. And it's nice to finally have that liberation to go out there and, 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 and do these things. And, and you said you, you write sci-fi and that's beautiful. You know what I mean? Like, I think that's great that we're finally taking that leap because it used to feel like it was a stigma of, of sorts to be into that. Mm-hmm. And it's great that everyone's so accepting. I go to these, these trade shows and, and I, I'm really now seeing a lot more black people attending and getting involved in cosplaying and, and, you know, doing their own things, doing their own books, uh, whatever you do, you know, and it's nice. It's nice to feel like finally there's a place where it's like we all can gather and have a collective, um, you know, area to do, to share these things with. Oh man. Yeah. Um, so uh, one thing I'm finding out, and we'll wrap it up because I want to be respectful of your time. Uh, one thing I'm finding out is that uh, black people in America have been doing this for a very long time. Did you know, you probably did, that um, W.E.B. Du Bois wrote like a, a couple of sci-fi stories? I did not, honestly. Yeah, man. And one of these guys in these big fancy schools, they found it, and then they did some shit, and now you got to go through a paywall to find this stuff or whatever. Oh. But um <laughs> I know, man. But now but you're it, taking me to school because I had no idea that he was doing sci-fi. Yeah, he he did a couple of stories. I don't know if it was like a series and the, you know, uh, you know, the Daily Negro, or whatever they was right back then. But you know, I know, I know that he wrote a couple of sci-fi stories. Right. So right. um, and and then um, I'm gonna have you know I posted yesterday, I guess it was a conversation mm-hmm. I had in 2017 with two brothers who was really big in, in the 90s when that um, the first, you know, black comic renaissance happened that I was aware of, you know, in that yeah. kind of Philly, New Jersey, New York area when they had the black expos and everything. Right, and, right. Um, and so, you know, they talked about, you know, the business part of it, you know, the triumphs, you know, um, the brother, uh, Roosevelt Pitt, his group, Ania, um, they sold over 4 million copies back wow. then in in the what was it like in that early 92 93 or whatever that kind of area and wow. they didn't have no company behind them it was strictly you know out of their car conventions even they was even distributing books out the nation of islam damn back then so i mean we here's the funny thing about black people in america we kind of like in little pocket dimensions <laughs> all of it's us true. are doing this incredible shit but we don't know you know no. <laughs> No, but you know, the, go ahead. It's it's true. I I uh, I recently linked up with a cousin that um, maybe back as far as two thousand eight, but I, I had I had never met him prior to that. Uh-huh. And uh, he's he's kind of a distant cousin, but uh, he comes from my mom's side of the family. He's he's over there in New Haven, Connecticut, and I took a I took my uh, my wife back east to visit where I, I came up, mm-hmm. and um, my uh, we went and visited. And I found out this guy was doing exactly the same thing I'm doing. Just <laughs> no, no, no. This is gonna sound funny. Don't right. You, know, you ever heard of that hundred? Was it the hundredth monkey theory? You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> oh no, no. Okay, so what it is, right? It's uh, a it's a two islands separated by like a tremendous distance, and one island got monkeys, and the other island got monkeys, right? Yeah. All right, so they all just doing monkey stuff. One monkey in the other island. Remember, these islands are separated by great distance. They don't have no telephones, nothing. They can't talk to each other. The one monkey starts washing his food 
like dip it in the water and wash it. And right. then the other island, they got no contact. The other one starts. So that's the only way I can come up. There's, I, I know, man. I know. You know, feel me. Feel me on this one, okay? Feel me on this. We connected some type of way. Right, right. You know right. what I mean? Like, I didn't know my father coming up, right? I met him later, um, you know, when I was an adult. And so, you know, before I met him, I had this habit of picking up the guitar, putting it down, picking up the guitar, putting it down. God damn it. He did the Just same shit. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, it, it's got to be, it's got to be written in the code. That's yeah. all I can. It's got to be written in the code. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and if it's just, if, go ahead. If it's in one, it's got to be in all of us to some degree. Because yeah. I mean, I mean, if there's one thing that black people do really well is we entertain, and you know, we we can go out there, we can make beautiful music. Yeah. You know, we can run some good games. You know, tell the best jokes. Um, you know, and it's just, it's just funny to just, that you know, the arts are really strong in, in, in those areas for us. Uh, yeah. I mean, um, and, and I think that, you know, in that same vibration, um, mm -hmm. you know, the one, the one thing that we're learning to do nowadays, uh, yourself included and, and, and the younger ones coming behind us is learning how to control that content. Right. Right. You know what I mean? It, you know, these institutions, these Marvel and DCs, they took generations to build. Sure. You know what I mean? And so I think that we're starting to understand the importance of ownership and, yes. uh, you know, all of this wealth that we kind of been letting slip through our fingers. I think we're starting to close our hands a little better now. And I think we have, you know, we understand in a little, a little better now what's really at stake. Yeah. People are more savvy. Exactly. For sure. Exactly. Exactly. Um, uh, yeah, brother, it's you been know. a it's been a pleasure talking with you, man. Uh, can you give folk your contact information and how they can reach out to you? How can they grab the book? Oh yeah, well, you the first. My hub is my website www.themarooncomic.com. Okay. You can check that out. You can join the mailing list. Um, I usually send out a couple blasts a month to let you know where I'm going to be signing, what issues are coming out, what interviews I've done, or reviews I got. Or anything. Sometimes I'll give away like freebies and coupon codes so you can get free downloads. Um, I have a Twitter. You can find me at uh, uh, at the Maroon Comic on Twitter or at, no, at Owl Eye Comics. I'm sorry. Um, and on Instagram, the same at Owl Eye Comics. Um, and then on Facebook, I have the Maroon page. Um, just look up the Maroon Comic on Facebook and I'm there. Um, and you can buy my my books, if you want hard copies, you can go to IndiePlanet.com and just look up the Maroon. You can get hard copy or digital download. I have a comic shop on uh, ComicCentral.com, and they're really good. They, they have uh, My books usually show up there first because they're very fast with posting. So you could download those. I always have them priced really cheap at $0.99. Cents. You can get the trade digital for $6.99. And then uh, if you're into the Comixology, uh, my books are up on there too. Um, so I have three places should be, uh, you know, if you have any questions, you can always email me at allicomics at gmail.com. Yo family, what's going on with you? I hope y'all dug that interview. This is Jonathan Soulspeak with you now. I want you to support my brothers and sisters by following them on social media and going to their website and picking up that product we can stop focusing so much on issues and start focusing on building industry. For more episodes, go to JonathanSoul.com, J-O-H-N-A-T-H-A-N-S-O-U-L.com.
And of course, I'm on social media. I'm on uh, it's Jonathan Soul at Twitter, Instagram, uh, Tumblr. Uh, subscribe on iTunes. Subscribe on uh, SoundCloud. And um, I'm over at uh, Black Spot as well, that terrific Facebook competitor. Listen, family, I love you guys. And I want all your dreams to come true. And my dreams can't come true without you. And yours can't come true without me. So let's support each other. And let's build this thing together. I love you guys. Peace and love to you and your family. Till next time. Yeah.